Okay, welcome everybody to Understanding Climate Finance. My name is Fahim Narali, and I'm the Climate Finance Trade Commissioner based out of the Embassy of Canada in Washington, D.C. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Sean Whitaker to the podcast. Sean is a professional engineer and the principal energy specialist with the International Finance Corporation, or IFC, the private sector financing arm of the World Bank Group. His work focuses on the due diligence for IFC's onshore wind investment, co-management of the World Bank Group's offshore wind development program, and the opening of a new business lines for IFC, such as renewable energy for off-grid mines and scaling wind investments in Africa. Prior to joining IFC in 2011, Sean spent six years as vice president of the Canadian Wind Energy Association, a period that saw a tenfold expansion of the wind industry in Canada. He also worked as a senior energy consultant with ICF Marbeck and spent five years in Madagascar designing, building, and installing windmills for community irrigation projects. Like yours truly, he's an alumni of Queen's University um, and holds a degree in mechanical engineering. So thank you, Sean, for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So I thought we could just kick off the conversation on wind energy just generally. Why is wind energy a priority for IFC and the World Bank Group? So IFC has been investing in uh, wind projects for uh, quite some time now. I think our first investment was 12 years ago. And uh, we've uh, been consistently financing uh, wind projects all around the world. Uh, we have now you know, financed around 48 projects in I think, about 20 countries around the world, um, you know, and for around 4.7 gigawatts of total installed capacity. So wind is a technology that uh, we're very comfortable with. Uh, it's been, uh, wind has changed a lot uh, over the past 11 years, uh, you know, 10 or 11 years ago, it was still relatively uh, expensive uh, compared to other forms of generation. And now it's uh, one of the cheapest forms of, of new generation globally. And that includes uh, you know, what we call conventional generation sources as well. So, and wind is clean. It delivers uh, jobs, good economic benefits. You know, it's able to be deployed rapidly. So it really meets the needs for a lot of these countries from an economic perspective, from a power perspective, and obviously from a you know, from a climate perspective as well. So uh, there's a lot to like about wind and we're hoping to do even more of it going forward. Great, I think you sort of really explained wind well, but I wanted to get more into a point that you mentioned around the economic benefits and the social benefits of wind, particularly you know around jobs. So how can a wind investment, let's say in Madagascar, because you know Madagascar really well, what is the impact of a wind investment in Madagascar to the local community? Certainly during construction, there's a, uh, there, there's a lot of benefits. When, when you're building a wind farm, there's a lot of the work that is done from a civil work standpoint that is usually done by uh, local companies. So everything having to do with, with the roads and the preparation of the land and the survey work you know, can be done by local companies. A lot of the work around the turbine foundations, so that's digging, you know, digging the holes and pouring the concrete and using the rebar and setting up the, uh, the, the turbine foundations, that can be done by uh, local firms as well. So, yeah, immediately during the construction, there's uh, you get a, a huge uptick um, in local labor. Many of the parts for the turbine itself are usually brought in from out, out from overseas. There are hard components to make. There are some that can be sourced locally, but in general, uh, most of it is going to be imported. But 
during the uh, operation phase, once the uh, wind farm is up and, uh, and going, you know, there's, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 people who are working on that, uh, on the wind farm, you know, uh, dealing with its maintenance and upkeep. Uh, there's also a lot of you know, local benefits as well, just from, you know, payments to landowners, uh, you know, royalties if, if they're, they're applied, you know, that have a real knock-on effect for the, uh, for the local community. I mean, we've seen one of the projects that we financed over the past few years was in the Eastern Cape of South Africa. And there, there was actually a, a, you know, a, an initiative or a part of the, the program that really aimed to increase local benefits for, uh, you know, for, the, um, for the local population. So there's requirements around employment for equity sharing in the project. And it's truly, it's amazing to see the transformation. Uh, I went to this project when we were doing the appraisal for it. And then I visited it a few years after it had been uh, built. And the changes in the towns were just remarkable. You know, streets have been paved. Uh, uh, there, the the shop owners were, you know, thriving. They were doing a really good business. And there was part of the project benefits also went to uh, a number of the local economic development organizations. So they had programs to help with local employment, with um, you know, uh, supporting women's collectives for uh, you know, on agriculture and manufacturing. So. Yeah, it, it's it can really bring a lot of benefits, but it's important to sort of understand you know those from the beginning and to really bake them into into the um, the development process, which is something that we're hoping to do with um, you know through Scaling Wind. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Scaling Wind program? Yeah, it's um, so we have been running the Scaling Solar program. This is a World Bank uh, World Bank Group program. Uh, yeah, Scaling Solar has been run in. Uh, it's it's essentially it's a it's a program whereby we work with client governments to essentially run competitive processes for utility scale uh, solar plants. And as part of that, we um, brought on to run the, um, you know, to run the tender process, but also use a set of bankable documents that we've developed. So that's like the power purchase agreement, government support agreement, etc. And essentially, you know, what we're trying to do in these cases is not reinvent the wheel. You know, we want to use what we know is a bankable, bankable form of documents and a clean, transparent, open process that uh, attracts good bids and, and, and results in really, you know, good international standard projects. So we've been doing this in, in Madagascar and in Zambia and Senegal, you know, Ivory Coast, etc. So the idea was to do the exact same thing with wind. Um, wind and solar, from that perspective, are fair, are quite similar. There's a few modifications we had to do uh, from a technical basis, but um, yeah, we're looking to replicate that success, and we're going to be uh, rolling that out uh, over the you know over the coming months. So we're really looking forward to that uh, to that you know because right now, I mean, the, the tragedy of, of, of wind is that you know it's, is that it's been growing very very quickly around the world. Uh, except in Africa. In Afri Africa is home to less than 1% of the world's installed wind capacity, and you could argue that it's the place that needs it the most. But they have not been able to really launch programs to get competitive wind projects on the ground, and so we're hoping to change that. Great. So looking at this program from private developer standpoint, how can private developers benefit from the Scaling Wind program? You know, when you're a, when you're a developer of a wind farm, anywhere in the world, including in Canada, <laughs> it's, you know, you know, it's a long process. 
in Africa, it's it's even a, a much longer process. Uh, it takes it can take twice the time to develop a wind project in Africa just because the you know the the, the systems are not in place. And and what you're trying to do is you're trying to always work towards bankability. Mm -hmm. And you can spend a lot of time developing a wind farm, and then you know be faced with a power purchase agreement uh, that's not bankable, and then you, you have all sorts of issues for you know getting the financing for your project and and being able to um, you know being able to build it. So we're hoping to kind of short circuit that or to to, to shortcut that um, that process by you know focusing on bankability and on transparency, and I think uh, that's and so I, you know having developers. Um, you know, support that process and, and, and really sort of insist that or, or put this forward as a, as a good way of, of um, developing a wind industry in a new market. Mm. That, that's enormously helpful. That's really interesting. Um, so looking at wind applications, where are you seeing innovative and interesting applications in wind energy? The new one is definitely offshore wind. This is, this is the, the next big thing. And it's not just the next big thing in terms of an idea. It is actually the next physically big thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, offshore wind turbines are you know, the largest pieces of rotating machinery that humans have ever built uh, by a long shot. And <laughs> they, you know, five or ten years ago, they were kind of on the on the margins. Um, they were not. Uh, you know, it was quite expensive. But we've seen in the past three years, we've seen. Uh, a fundamental shift in offshore um, and the prices have come down and uh, all of a sudden you know there's in many places they're looking at uh, offshore wind in many places in Europe they're looking at offshore wind as being one of the single largest sources of generation that they will have uh, over the next 20 to 30 years mm -hmm. um, so it, that technology represents a, a huge um, uh, yeah, huge opportunity, particularly for uh, for emerging markets. So, uh, two years ago, we started um, with the bank. We started a program aimed at uh, at helping emerging markets accelerate their uptake of offshore wind, and we're really excited about the prospects there. Um, so, we've been working in a number of places in Vietnam and in India, Sri Lanka, you know, Turkey, Azerbaijan, Philippines, Colombia, Brazil, South Africa. Um, and trying to see what can be done to, um, you know, uh, for them to take take advantage of this new technology. So, yeah, that's that's very exciting. Yeah, and, and a quick plug. I mean, IFC has something called Energy Notes, and there's a really great report, the rising tide of offshore wind, which I encourage everybody to to read. Looking at the role that innovative finance can play with, um, like such as blended finance in energy investments do you feel that we're still at a point with wind investments or maybe even more particularly offshore wind investments where blended finance would play a role yeah I, uh, there's no doubt because in a lot of these new markets you're still trying to deal with you know, with market barriers that make it really tough for a new technology to come in even if it's wind energy it's it's you know proven and it's uh competitively priced in developed markets. When you go in with a wind project into, you know, uh, Botswana or, you know, Namibia or like, you know, uh, Ivory Coast or Senegal, you know, it's still having to compete against incumbent technologies. And that's a, that's a challenge. And the first projects are gonna be more expensive than subsequent projects. 
know, uh, so the first projects are you know, we're, we're seeing projects in you know certainly in Canada, North America, and Europe wind projects that are you know in the three to four cent per kilowatt hour range. Your first projects in Africa for wind are are going to be more expensive than that because it's a new market. You don't have uh, you know, a lot of the the physical infrastructure is not is not there. It has to be built up, you know, including ports and cranes and you know transport trucks and mm -hmm. uh, so all that needs to be kind of given a given a kickstart. And blended finance is a, is a perfect way of doing that because it's saying like, look, we recognize that the cost of the first projects is going to be more. Uh, there's a role for um, you know concessionality in improving the terms so that this is not such a uh, you know, such a, a difficult step. Uh, and then again, you get the, those first few projects done and then subsequent projects are much easier to do uh, and much cheaper. Um, so yeah, there's there's no doubt to me, it's, it's a it's a no brainer for, <laughs> for blended finance. And, and certainly, you know, Canada has been a, a great help with us uh, and the, you know, the blended finance facility that, that we control um, that was given to us by uh, the Canadian government has really helped to unlock a lot of opportunities. So we are thankful for it and hope to um, and hope to be able to use it, uh, particularly within the context of scaling wind in Africa. Great. In another plug, we've interviewed uh, Criscaya Sierra Escalante, who manages uh, the Blended Finance Department at IFC. So if you're interested in learning more about Blended Finance, I encourage you to listen to that podcast. There, there are a number of wind energy skeptics out there. What are the top two or three misconceptions of wind do you feel that are out there? Reliability. Yeah. That's number one, two, three, and four, and five, and down to 10. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, the, the um, what often, what people often think is, you know, it's, they use the word intermittent. Mm -hmm. Intermittent is not an accurate way of describing wind. Intermittent is something that all of a sudden switches on and off randomly, and you can never count on it. You can never rely on it. Mm -hmm. You never know when it's going to be on or off. And this is seriously like this has been dispelled like 20 years ago, but it's it's it continues to persist. And people say, "Oh, well, you can't count on it," and that's absolutely not true. I mean, uh, wind turbines, first of all, they uh, you know they do. They do vary in power, but it's not not it's not quickly. Uh, you have to remember that the the rotor, you know, so the, the the part that's spinning on on a wind turbine, uh, generally weighs upwards of eighty tons, and it's hard to stop that thing from spinning when it's going. <laughs> so even if the wind dies, it still spins for a while. And you know, then it, across a wind farm, the wind doesn't generally die at the, across the entire wind farm at once. So the whole wind farm tends to balance itself out. You get a bunch of wind farms across a, a large geographic area, then the wind never stops blowing at any one time, at any one place at any one time. So the output of those wind farms, as you start to aggregate them, their, their, their output becomes quite flat. And then you can forecast. Um, and people forget this for a reason that's not clear to me, but you can forecast the output of a wind farm um, 24 hours ahead within about 10%. So if you have a wind farm you know, in somewhere in Nova Scotia, I can tell you what that wind farm is going to produce with it, you know, plus or minus 10% 24 hours from now. When you get within an hour, I can tell you within 3% what it is going to produce. So it's predictable um, and it's, its output is pretty flat. So from, 
if you talk to a system operator um, and you ask them about you know a system operator that actually has wind on their system and you ask them about about how they feel about its reliability mm -hmm. then they'll be you know they'll be ecstatic i mean one of them, you know you talk to to hydro quebec or to ieso in, in ontario they understand wind extremely well they they're able to predict it they're able to deal with its variability uh, they they are able to come up with interesting ways of managing that variability and planning for it, um, but you know there it's 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 not a it's not an issue. But for some reason, for people that don't aren't involved in system operation or that aren't involved in in um, in power planning, there's this crazy myth that persists that you can't that it's unreliable, and. Yeah, it drives me crazy, but <laughs> but it's it's very persistent. So yeah, no, I can see, I can see why that'd be frustrating. And then you also have energy storage, which always always supports the wind generation itself as well. And we have good evolution in in energy storage solutions as well. So I'm sure that's a good complement. It is. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people forget that you know storage is a means to an end, right? And what you want is system flexibility. Mm -hmm. You know. The most flexible system in the world is a hydro system. This is why like Quebec is like a dreamland for wind because you know hydro is infinitely flexible. So when you've got a flexible system, you don't need much storage to deal with variability. Uh, and you can get you can get flexibility out of the craziest places. I mean Ontario has been doing has been getting flexibility out of its coal plants for years and in very innovative ways. So, you know, storage is one way of getting flexibility, but there's there's lots of ways of doing that, either through generation, uh, through larger control areas and stronger interconnections with uh, adjoining markets, with faster, you know, settling times between those markets. They all accomplish the same thing, but the end goal is flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, and storage is a is, storage is a very powerful new tool. Um, you know, uh, to provide flexibility. So yeah, it's 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 a very exciting time. Great. And, and my last question for you is, how can Canadian companies best prepare for a conversation with you if they have a wind project? What would you like for them? What's their homework before they, they have a conversation? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the homework is that they've kind of, that they've done their homework. That, that I can tell pretty fast if a company knows what it's doing uh, for wind. I, you know, from a technical standpoint, you know, do you have land control? Do you have a wind measurement campaign? I mean, that'll be the first question. It's like, hey, do you actually have uh, met mass installed to, to get data? From an environmental and social standpoint, I mean, have you started to do uh, some environmental screening work? Have you engaged with the local with the local population? And, you know, really good developers, they do all this naturally. And then when, you, when, you, when, you, when, they, when I talk to them, you know that's all they can lay all they can lay out their projects um you know and canada has an incredible number of very good developers i mean it's 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 an embarrassment of riches for you know there's developers that really really know their business and they understand you know this balance between technical environmental and social aspects so so yeah i think you know, just do your homework follow best practices don't reinvent the wheel um and um you know, but uh, it takes it takes time to do these things. Um, if somebody comes up and says, "Here's a project that I'm thinking of," and they haven't done any of their homework, they haven't visited the place, they haven't spent, frankly, spent you know their own uh, 
capital on um, site preparation, then yeah, then 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 that tells me that they're not uh, that serious about that uh, about that development. Okay, great. Well, that's that's a that was my last question. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate all the time today, Sean, um, and all the insights you provided on on wind energy. I know, like you said, we have a number of developers in Canada who are looking at emerging markets but haven't really might quite made the leap. And I think this will sort of give them the insight that they need. So thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Uh, please make sure that you uh, rate the podcast, if you can, on your podcast platform. And please send me comments or ideas for future episodes. So thank you, everybody.